0: Welcome, folks, to Roughly a Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, joined by my illustrious co-host, off the I.L. Phil had... Uh, what'd you have? A little, little phlegm in the I throat? I don't know. It
1: was, like the, it was like the flu or something. It was really bad for two days, and then for the next, like, three or four days, it was just kind of like, you know, stuffy nose, cough, but totally better today.
0: Yeah, sound like a million bucks, so yeah. glad to have you back. Um, we, that, we could have podcasted before this, um, but we... <laughs> I remember calling you shortly after the uh, Alvarez silencer what was yeah. it? Two, two week two weeks ago. I said, "Do you want to talk for five minutes on on record?" And you said, "Absolutely not. That sounds terrible." No, I couldn't so. do it. Yeah, <laughs> i
1: mean, that was that that would, was that would have probably... been just to
0: capitalize off of our pain. But I'm glad so we did
1: I know, that. I know that um, there was like okay, so for Seahawks fans, like the when the Malcolm Butler did um, did the the interception did in the, the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, when he did an inter, uh, he made the interception in the Super Bowl, and that was like obviously, if I was a Seahawks fan, I would probably be more devastated about that than what happened with Jordan Alvarez, just because a it was the first game of the division series, not the last two minutes or whatever it was of the Super Bowl, so the stakes were a lot higher for that. Um, but still, that to me felt like. In that moment, that was the worst experience I've ever had watching a sporting event. Like, I don't think there's even a particularly close second. That was the worst moment I've ever had watching sport. I was like, because I was telling this to Anya the other day, you know, when we got into the playoffs, everything was all fun and it's house money and, oh, I hope we beat the Blue Jays. I won't be upset if we don't, but, you know, let's just try and play a good series. And then we beat the Blue Jays, and then we're going to Houston. And it's like, everything feels great. Like, I don't even care if they sweep us. Like, this is going to be so fun just to watch them in the division series. But somehow, it just was the worst. And just the way that they lost, you know, getting seven runs off of Verlander. Was it six? I can't remember. Six or seven off of Verlander. Six, yeah. Yeah. And then they got one off of, I think, one of their relievers. Or no, we lost that game seven to six, right?
0: I think and did we lose I,
1: it 8 to 7?
0: I think it was 8-7 and Crawford's solo shot to right was was the 7th run. I think they put us okay. up
1: 7-3. Yeah. Anyway, whatever it was, I'm trying to block it out of my memory, but Yeah, details are are not important. Yeah. It's just feelings. I, I just point. remember I think I even texted you something to this effect when Bregman hit that two-run shot off of Muñoz mm-hmm. and it went to 7-5, to five. you just knew that you know with the way the lineup was stacking up. Because we were talking about it, like, okay, who are we going to face in the ninth? And as soon as uh, I think it was Kyle Tucker got a single, but he got stranded. But you knew at that point that you were going to have to face Altuve again. And granted, Altuve did not do anything in the ninth, you know. Um, But still, you knew you were going to have to deal with that top of the order again. And then just to have Jeremy Pena extend the inning, oh uh, God, it, I can't remember who the first guy who got on was. It was oh it, yes, I do. It was David Hensley pinch hit, and he drew a walk. Um, right, and yep. then and then Altuve well, didn't comes he get up, hit. Did he get hit? I think it was I like he,
0: the, it, the it was a pitch. It the pitch inside that 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 was ball four, or it hit his jersey.
1: Yeah, uh, something along those lines. But he, you know, it was a it was a batter that you just absolutely had to retire. Yep and he didn't yep and then of course you get Pena who you know we had this conversation yesterday I don't really believe that Jeremy Pena is a, a great player or anything like that I think there are a lot of holes like you saw him get exposed by you know the same thing that Jared Kelnick got exposed by a lot this year to a lesser extent but it's that low and away slider that he really has trouble laying off but you know Paul Seawald, he tried to put that slider low and away to Jeremy Pena. He did not get it low enough, and he did not get it away enough. And he just shot it up the middle. And then, you know, of course, then the Jordan situation.
0: Yeah, we talk about the the gravy and like everything's great and all that. Um, that was emotional protection. I think of of that kind of a, that kind of fronting of saying that out loud of like, yeah, that sounds good, but um, in practice, there's nothing to prepare you or protect you from the uh the, the sheer power of disappointment and yeah. failure and and <laughs> the fact that Jordan alvarez's name starts with the y is apt because that was what i was asking myself yeah. for six straight hours after that home run
1: you know they asked depoto and and service about that at bat during the the um end of season wrap-up uh, uh interview that i think both of us listened to mm-hmm. and I I know they don't want to give away like their exact detailed game plans as to why they thought Robbie Ray was the right matchup there, but it seemed like the whole front office was in accord that that was the right matchup that they wanted to go to in that moment. It wasn't just service, you know, having a a gut feeling or whatever. So obviously it's hard because, you know, we do a podcast and you have to try and think on your own, but it really is hard when it's basically a whole organization saying, yes, this was the right matchup at the right time versus us just watching and saying, why are they doing that?
0: Yeah, it was, it was odd. I mean, we had seen Robbie Ray get his ass handed to him by Houston in Houston several times that season. And even going back before that, he had really struggled there. Um, And, there was Eric Swanson just sitting there yeah. and that, that, that was, we didn't see Eric Swanson until necessity forced him out of the bullpen in the 18 inning game. And it was very odd. And, and,
1: and, and what did he do? He came up based yeah, on, exactly. granted, granted it's a completely different circumstance. It's in the smoke in Seattle where the ball yeah. doesn't travel and all, yes, there's a million different rationales for why that played out differently than you know, the Robbie Ray situation and they're not one-to-one. You can't just say, oh, plug Aaron Swanson in there and he's going to strike him out. But
0: <sighs> there was the, yeah, the, leading up to that, that home run, um, which, you know, it's just abysmal. But the, um, the, the shot as, as Seawald is leaving and they're bringing Robbie Ray in. And the, I think right before the commercial pay, uh, hits, you see Alvarez with an iPad And that might, that might as well have been him loading up a gun to shoot us in the heart. Because that, to me, that was just like, he's just downloading what he needs to see about Robbie Ray. I think that's what he said. He's like, I went back and saw matchups against him and what he does. And he's just like programmed in his brain. And that, that was, I think another thing too, is like that either pulling Seawald and and just, you know, Seawald obviously failed in that moment. But that, that, that pause before that just was like that. It almost didn't even matter if it was Robbie Ray or anyone else that they they failed by letting it get to Alvarez. And
1: I went back and I did because I don't know why, but I guess I just love to feel pain. Um, I went back and did watch the at bat again. And it's only it's a two pitch at bat. So there's not a lot to like break down in the Mm -hmm. at bat. The first pitch was a sinker in on his hands and he fouls it away. He fights it off, fouls it away. He tries to go. Robbie tries to go back to the same exact pitch—that sinker in on his hands, which is not a bad pitch, and it's one that's really hard to hit out of the ballpark. But you know, he just left it over the middle of the plate, and Alvarez did what Alvarez does, and that was that.
0: Yeah, and um, I I will gleefully induct him into the Get the Fuck Out of My Face Club uh, that yep. we that we introduced a couple couple weeks ago. Uh, who do we put in? Luis Rengifo, I think, was in there. Was the, yeah. the, the the nomination there, but yeah, you you were there forever.
1: And it really does come down to this. Um, do you know who Jeff Sullivan is?
0: The he was the former
1: Lookout Landing Yeah, Lookout Landing. Yeah, yeah, he so he basically made Lookout Landing what it is today. Yeah. Um he was the reason, you know, because the Mariners should not have as basically a big of a culture um blog-wise as they do, but Jeff's content and all of that stuff was so unbelievably good that it kind of just propelled the Mariners into this weird little um culture that we have of being extremely it's online very online
0: fan base yeah
1: yeah but um he ended up because his you know lookout landing he was so cutting edge of statistical analysis he ended up getting a job with Tampa Bay where he still is in the front office today wasn't he with the uh, Padres he- no, that's Dave Cameron, Dave Cameron. who was okay. also an, another yeah. one that contributed to the US, uh, the online
0: USS nature Mariner, of the Mariner, yeah,
1: USS Mariner, yeah, exactly. So, Dave was basically the same as Jeff Sullivan, but anyway, Jeff Sullivan put out a tweet after that at bat, and it really does sum up the Jordan Alvarez problem. He said, The only good matchup. Uh, the only good pitching matchup against Jordan Alvarez is some other, somebody else's team's pitcher, (laughs) meaning like there really is no good pitcher to throw against Jordan Alvarez. He doesn't have um, extreme splits where you can exploit him, you know, Oh, let's go lefty lefty on him or, Oh, let's, you know, throw this type of pitcher at him because he doesn't hit this type of pitch. Well, he's just, uh, he's basically David Fletcher level of contact skills, but with, Barry Bonds level power. It's just, he's like an impossible guy. Yeah. It's just not, it's not fair.
0: No, he's the best hitter in baseball. And, yeah. and you know, I think he's, he's the villain that we all look at him and Pena. I think because Pena got him there and and then yeah. Pena had the big hit in game, in, in game three, the home run. Um, But, as you say over and over, I think people conflate the Astros or maybe it's just less exciting to talk about them, but it's their pitching. Like,
1: yeah, it, it is. It, it's not, it, their they, hitting was actually pretty pedestrian. All, all yeah. series I mean,
0: long. Kyle Tucker, it yeah. was garbage. Kyle yeah. Tucker didn't do anything. I mean, Pena had the two moments, but that was about it. Guriel had a good series, but you know, it's in yeah. Bregman hit the dinger, but that was about it in t- for terms of contributions. And I think, I think it was abundantly clear how they how good their pitching was when, um, you know, just how, how far Luis Garcia carried them in that 18 inning game. It was just like, are you kidding me? They have this guy too. Who's like, was, you know, you know, a a season bounces a different way. Like that could probably be a Cy Young candidate for most teams. And he's just chilling in the bullpen to eat up four innings in a, in a grinded out game. And it's like, there's still, there's still that monster at the end of the movie.
1: Yeah. And I might end up eating my words on this next year. We'll see. Outside of Jordan Alvarez, and that's a big that's a big person to exclude. But the Astros don't have an offense that makes you afraid. I mean, Bregman's good, but he's not the Alex Bregman of 2018, 2019. If Kyle anything Tucker's if
0: anything's been proven about Bregman recently, it's that uh he has hacked Minute Maiden Park, and that might be yes. his, his number one skill.
1: Yes. And he he just has the perfect like profile for that part but he's not a great player anymore he's a very good player he's like about honestly like a, a eugenio suarez type yeah. of player um you know kyle tucker's a very good very good player but he's not a superstar it's not like you're facing honestly the blue jays have a far 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 superior lineup mm-hmm. to the astros but with the astros it really just does come down to the absolutely absurd dominant pitching now how long is that going to last with Justin Berlander? It's prone to go at any moment with him. Um, It's also prone to go for another two, three, four years if he stays healthy. (laughs) And also he's the only guy that that they hit off of
0: in the entire series.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's prone. He is, I mean, he's 40, he's in his forties. He is prone to fall apart at any point. But then after that, you just, you look and it's like, okay, then for Amber Valdez is looking like a a potential perennial Cy Young guy. And then, you Christian know, Javier just so completely
0: deep. mowed down the Yankees yesterday. Yeah.
1: yeah, Lance McCullers back and looking pretty healthy. I mean, it's just they have it is the pitching for Houston that is just so dominant. I'm not as you know we always we have this recurring talk about Houston on this podcast is how close are we to them? There are cracks with Houston now. The lineup is not as dominant as it was in the past, but the pitching is as dominant, if not more, than ever. Mm-hmm. So. It's just one of those things where, you know, you hope you can close some of the gap and the gap does look closable, but not to the extent where they're going to run away and be favorites over Houston anytime soon.
0: Well, two things are are not helping the the pain. Um, it, it, my perspective on this is a little bit different. One, I think is everyone can agree with, is that the Yankees absolutely shitting the bet against Houston is not helping anything. That, uh, the, it
1: makes us look better, though.
0: It makes us look better, but it makes us look like uh, we were the team. We were the second best team in the AL, which I guess yeah. you can hang your head on. But the second thing, as I hear uh, a group of people outside my house singing, dancing on my own, which has become the Philadelphia Phillies uh, playoff anthem, that uh, had the Mariners been able to, to pull it off and beat the Astros, then they might have found themselves in a World Series in my backyard, which would have been oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> fantastic. No, but, if,
1: uh, if the Mariners had somehow managed to squeak past the Astros, and you know, really all three of those games were a coin flip. They were leading up until the seventh inning in game two, yep. until again, Jordan Alvarez. They went 18 innings in game three, and obviously we know what happened in game one. There is no doubt in my mind, and maybe this sounds overly arrogant or whatever. The Mariners would have disposed of the Yankees. They would have. I just, I don't see any rationale for anybody being able to argue with me on that one. The Mariners are, or at least towards the end of the season, the Mariners were the superior team.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they proved it over six games in in the summer that they were the better team over over them. Um, Speaking of, of game three, you were there. How how was T-Mobile on Saturday, other than the result?
1: Well, it was electric for about 12 innings. And then I I, I don't want to say there was an air of frustration that started creeping in, um, because I think everyone was still just very excited and very happy to be there. I, I think the breaking point was, oh gosh, who was it? We had, a, mm, I remember. Carlos Santana, he gets a base knock in extra innings. I think this was in the 14th inning at this point, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe 15th inning. I don't know. It also and he stole second, there. right? Yeah. Well, so a ball, he's yeah, I'm going to call that a steal because it was a ball that bounced away from the catcher, but it did not bounce extremely yeah. far away. It didn't but, hit the
0: bricks back there. Yeah,
1: he just had a great secondary, and he took second base, and then Tremel was standing on second base, yep. and you have with one out and you have two opportunities to bring him home. Um, Adam Frazier doesn't do anything. And then Jared Kelnick with the most, (laughs) and I texted you this, it was the most pathetic at bat. I have seen a major league hitter put up in quite some time. And I don't, I don't want to bash on Jared because you know, whatever it is, what it is with him at this point, he obviously has a lot of things he needs to clean up if he wants to be a contributor, but it was just, It was one of those young Jared moments where it was like he wanted so badly to get the base hit. There was not a single strike thrown to him in the at bat, and he could not lay off a pitch to save his life. It was was one of those moments where you knew, and he can deny it all he wants, but you knew he was making up his mind before the Mm -hmm. pitch was thrown, whether he was swinging or not.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we'll talk about Jared more the next time we we uh, mm-hmm. podcast of projecting him forward. But uh, yeah, not not the greatest look for him in that last series. Not not like uh, from a you know he embarrassed himself in any yeah. any you know non baseball way, but just like, God, it was right there. And I think it, nobody like public opinion on him had gotten to the point of just like, hey, you pissed us off a lot, but we really fucking need you right now. Yeah, and and yeah, just did not deliver in those moments, but no one did. I mean, that, there was, yeah. there was so, ample opportunities to, in that game. And To,
1: to sum up the atmosphere, um, after that inning, which I think was like the 15th, 14th, can't remember, mm-hmm. um, that's when you sort of felt the air in the stadium just kind of let out. And yeah. just, you know, people, you know, because before that it was, you know, standing every inning, all inning, you know, cheering loud. And after that inning, it was just kind of almost felt like a regular baseball game. Yeah. Um, where people were just kind of getting antsy and and wanted to see something.
0: Yeah. And that uh, that is the last thing. I mean, th- there's a lot of well, one, <laughs> it's it's a very smoky memory and not not yeah. like, a, like that's how my brain remembers it. It's no the, the 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 visuals, at least on television, was just like it was hard to see really in between the, the pitcher and the catcher. And then I think that the uh, Kirby striking out Altuve in, in to end his appearance or not to end his appearance, but to get out of a little bit of trouble. And then uh, the Matt Brash strikeout, so the,
1: the Brash strikeouts, the two back-to-back strikeouts were the loudest I have ever heard T-Mobile Park get. Yeah. That was, that was, that was when the stadium was about to fall down because that was in the ninth inning. And, you know, we go into the bottom of the night thinking, okay, here we come, we're going to walk this off. And obviously it wasn't the case, but Brash doing that was, was, was quite incredible.
0: Yeah, that was, um, I, I, there was there was a certain pride there just like especially it, having it being kirby and brash two guys that it became new characters in our in our lives this year in terms of really getting to see them um and seeing them be so dominant was was in the many moments of that game and, and really the, the the prevailing mentality that you had to carry into that game was this could be the last game that we see mm-hmm. all year and so yeah. given given that reality even at that moment as things appeared um at least somewhat optimistic. Leaving with that, what I think was was it was a nice note to end on of just like, hey, yeah. we got we got these two guys who are certified motherfuckers and they are they are on our pitching staff next year. And
1: uh, uh, Diego Castillo with one of the worst all time performances <laughs> I've ever seen, by the way, got Let's out not of forget it. about that That was one of the worst things I've ever watched in baseball. But he got out I of mean, it. It was, yeah, I mean, but he didn't actually do a single good thing. He had, I guess, I guess the best thing he did was throw a strike so that they could sacrifice bunt and get one out.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, uh, Diego's got to get back to, to square one this this offseason. It's so uh,
1: funny because in Toronto, he looked so bad. And then
0: he also got in, out of that.
1: Yeah, but then in Houston in the first game, if we don't forget, he looked so good. Yeah. The only reason he let somebody on base was because Ty France weirdly decided he was going to die. That was like easily the second baseman's ball to have. And, but other than that, he looked dominant, you know, three ground balls, boom, boom, boom.
0: Yeah. There's the, the, the Mercurial Diego Castillo. Um, It's, 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 it's a random outcome generator every time. Yeah, it
1: really is.
0: Since game three and since the end of the Mariners season, there has been some news that has come out. We heard uh, that Cal Raleigh um, had a broken thumb in a torn ligament in his left catching hand. Uh, he also given all of that caught 236 pitches with it
1: on Saturday. What a fucking warrior. He is uh, a, he is a legend dude. He had what a great postseason, what a great end of the season. And, Yeah, we can talk more about him on the next episode, but there is something very different going on with his hitting profile that I don't even think the most optimistic people would have expected to see.
0: Yeah, no, he's he's becoming, um, I I don't even know, something terrifying in a good way. Um, Julio had a little finger injury. It sounds like basically the same thing that uh, Suarez had the the broken kind of bone at the end of the finger. Mm -hmm. He'll be taking a month off or so to rehab with that. Um, And then the rest of the stuff has kind of just been reading between the, the lines on some comments that have been made by the front office and Scott service, et cetera, in media appearances. Um, the first one I think is the the most bombastic, which is that everybody seems to hate Jesse Winker, except no, there's not a problem. Um, so to recap, this is uh, Ryan Divish appeared on Brock and Salk, I think, or on some, some outlet in, uh, in Seattle and insinuated that, people were tired of Jesse winker's act and he didn't prepare exactly. enough didn't prepare. to uh get ready for 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 games and that he um just didn't take this seriously and almost like qu- maybe questions about whether he was actually hurt in in the the last year Yeah, games I
1: years. feel like that was where it kind of went over the line. Yeah. Like to question whether he was hurt. I mean, he just had two freaking surgeries. I don't think he would do that just to save face, right? I, like Yeah,
0: and like just yeah. whatever, whatever you want to say about his preparation or whatever, but like the dude would want to play like, come on. That's, yeah. that's, that's ridiculous. But anyways, so there was that. And then the uh, Mariners front office basically did everything that they could to um squash that out and say that uh um Jesse Winker is absolutely a part of their future that they believe that he can hit um at, at next season. And um they, you know, he's probably going to be your DH next year. It sounds like because we saw this year that he's just not a good left fielder, but we kind of knew that no. going into the year. So um, I don't I think, think, that I think any of thing that's thing too surprising, Jesse- oh, but I don't think any of that's all oh, that's too surprising because Divish had said that before on a podcast. I think it's just this this time people heard it because the Seattle Times does not market their podcast well at all.
1: No, um, I think the thing with Jesse is he can play left field, but only in bursts. I mean, it was uh, a. a, a circumstance this year that we saw him in left field as much as we did the astros use your alvarez in left field mm-hmm. and that is to mean when you're in stadiums with very small left fields like houston you know because they have the crawford boxes you know it's a very tiny left field where he doesn't have to cover a lot of ground or you know there's other small left fields fenway um <laughs> Places like that, you can use Jesse in the or honestly, Cincinnati, where he used to play. You can use Jesse in left field there, but or you park, yeah, you can stick Jesse at DH and that'll be the more optimal outcome. He can play left field and be okay out there as long as you're not putting him in a position to not succeed. Now, this year, obviously, circumstances were different. Jared Kelnick struggled, uh, um, Mitch Hanager was, um, Taylor hurt not effective when he was there Eh, sometimes, but you know, it was, it was more of a product of circumstance rather than we think Jesse Winker is a great left fielder.
0: Yeah. And I think if he was just a DH, then we wouldn't have had somebody sour opinions of him like the 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 bad moments mm-hmm. that left were really bad and obvious but like if you completely remove him, that'd be like if nelson cruz uh as a mariner was playing right field the whole time like i don't think people would love nelson cruz as much as, as yeah. they ended up doing it because you just never had to and see I, him play
1: i feel like it bears repeating with jesse winker he ran elite walk and strikeout rates this year yeah like it was not a problem with his swing it was simply a product well i mean you could say it was a problem with his swing because he was popping a lot of balls up and, you know, whatever. So, but really what it came down to is just the bat wasn't as fast. There's no problem with his discipline or any of that stuff or anything Mm -hmm. in that profile that would give you more of a concern. The bat certainly a product of the two injuries that he was having nagging him all year. Mm -hmm. We saw the same thing with Ty France in the second half of the season. He was really banged up and he was not as effective. Andres Munoz had a we found out had a a foot thing. J.P. Crawford had a knee thing. A lot of these guys. And, and that's not to say that this doesn't happen to every team, because it certainly does. But it seemed as though the Mariners were more beat up towards the end of the season than I think a lot of people or, you know, anybody was really letting on.
0: Yeah, and I think all of their uh, injury luck that they got with the starters <laughs> carried over yeah. into, um, into the rest of the position players. So that was the Winker scuttlebutt. There's also certainly scuttlebutt, and I don't think it's, any, again, not that surprising, but the uh, is J.P. Crawford your shortstop of the future? I think the company line here is, that sounds good, but if there's someone that, uh, ba- basically J.P. Crawford will either be your second baseman or your shortstop next year. Yes. And they are going to a- attempt to add one marquee middle infielder who if their preference is to play shortstop JP will see you over at second base and if they're fine moving over to second base then JP will stay and I think that that's that's what has has come out of all that which again was kind of the situation heading into last year had they signed Simeon or Seager or any of those guys
1: yeah you know what's funny is people to photo for not saying we're gonna move JP Cardiff off of shortstop if we get a better shortstop you know why would you have why would you admit that right now and in- potentially piss him off and then not wind up with a shortstop. And then he's back at shortstop. Have that conversation when you need to have that conversation. Don't do, don't speculate There's No reason to not commit to him at short. And I'm sure internally they're already talking to him about, would you be willing to do X, Y, and Z? And I'm, you know, I don't know JP Crawford personally. It's not like we're close friends, but from every indication, of who he is as a person and uh, as a uh, a guy on our team, seems like he just wants to win, and he's already locked in his big yeah. contract that he's going to get for his career. So there's really no downside for him to move over to second base at this point.
0: And I'm sure they had that conversation last year when when this was kind of the market yes. too. So I don't I don't think that this is this is going to be a difficult thing if if it comes to that. And it's a good problem to have if you do honestly. It's just like make it make it work. Um, but so there's that. Uh, Matt Brash is still going to be a reliever. I think a little. I don't, that I one's don't, the point one. Yeah, that that's that's tough. I mean, just because it's so tantalizing, and his stuff seems mm-hmm. to be able to to play anywhere, but um, that they're they're kind of going with the hey, it worked out for Edwin Diaz line, and it's like, well, can't argue with that, but um, doesn't doesn't mean that there might still be something left on the table by moving yeah, to, it, to the bullpen.
1: And you know, there's this notion that I think needs to be retired in baseball that guys with two pitches can only work in the bullpen. We saw a guy, <laughs> Robbie Ray two pitching. pitches. Yeah. And we saw a guy in Toronto who only had two pitches who dominated us for quite a while before, you know, touch of trouble. Uh, Kevin Gosman, fastball splitter, basically that's what his career has been. And, you know, the giants were astute enough to say, because uh, he came over to the giants from the reds. And the Reds had him in the bullpen, and the Giants just basically told him, listen, we're going to not change anything about your profile. We're just going to move you as a starter. And he said, are you sure that's going to work? And the Giants said, yeah, it's going to work. And sure enough, there he is. He's, you know, now a perennial Cy Young candidate. So as long as you have two elite pitches, which, you know, we can go and talk about Robbie not having elite pitch. He has one elite pitch. It's the slider. can mm-hmm. look um, With Gosman or a guy like Rash, but – don't think you need to say well you're definitely because you don't have that third pitch i would love to see them give matt brash another chance as a starter
0: and i don't think that the book is closed fully on that um but um yeah we'll we'll just have to see i guess with that and then uh, you you got to listen to uh to jerry depoto on Mike uh again brock and sock on thursday i still have not listen to that interview but what about that told you that uh mitch hanniger will not be back with the team
1: Okay, so we've all listened to enough Jerry DePoto talk to know, like, to be the able deco- to... Parse the decoder, the words. Words. Yeah. yeah, we have the decoder now. And anytime Jerry says something <laughs> to the effect of, like, listen, Mitch is a free agent, <laughs> it's not like... the He didn't start it with, we want Mitch back, we think he's the heart of the team, you know, we think he's his best years are still ahead of him, you know, the injuries were unfortunate, whatever. If he had wanted Mitch back, that's how he would have started it. But instead, it was you know, Mitch is a free agent and he's going to explore what's out there for him. And it was like, oh my God, this is, this is the most like negative way that Jerry DePoto could talk about a player that he is not a hundred percent intent on bringing back. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it was, it was very clear that it was basically, well, Mitch isn't part of our team anymore. We would maybe like to entertain the possibility of Mitch coming back to the Mariners. But as of right now, Mitch is a free agent. It was, it was one of those moments where you're like, okay, yeah, this is, this is probably this is probably done.
0: Yeah. I th- I think that's a good way of thinking of it. Is like bringing Mitch back is not a market in or market or circumstances independent uh like like priority of the team. Yeah. It's like if things break right, he we could we would we would yeah. bring him back. Basically
1: but... they're treating Mitch like any other free agent that's out on the market. They're not treating him like he's Mitch Haniger who's been a mariner for six years or whatever. They're treating mm-hmm. Mitch Hanniger like basically if, if the Mariners were the Colorado Rockies and they were like, Hmm, let's kick the tires on Mitch Haniger, They are not, I they are not going to make it a priority to bring Mitch back. That's, that's kind of what the, 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 the overwhelming sense is.
0: Yeah. And that could be posturing too. I mean, it could, it could be something like that, but you know, I, I, I tend to think that and and I think that that's somewhat justified too in a vacuum, but it's like, well, that's it's, it's kind of like the Kyle Seeger situation last year. It's like, yeah, I mean, he may have, worn out as welcome and his best days might have been behind him but like how who who are you going to find that's better and they had to get right. creative to 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 do exactly that with with chino so i think that's the uh the majority of of the news or tidbits to take away from any any um media media talk from from the front office recently is there anything else that that you thought was interesting that came out
1: yeah i mean there was a moment um i i this something to this effect, but there was a moment where I heard Depoto getting kind of more sharp in mm. his his talk than I have ever heard him talk with Seattle media before. I think part of that is, you know, just the being tired of talking about the Jesse Winker situation, but also part of it is Seattle media has started. They got this little taste of winning, <laughs> and now they're starting to get ruthless. which, you know, it, it kind of happens with with uh, media markets. Uh, they take off the kick gloves once you start winning, but uh, it was. It was this moment of very firm conviction that, you know, Jesse Winker is going to be a big part of this team next year. I think the Mariners truly do believe that this year was an anomaly for Jesse Winker. It wasn't some underlying skill that's deteriorated. It was more just a a confluence of events,
0: and I think the uh, what's unsaid about that is what Jerry Depoto is asking fan bases, the fan base to do is, Trust me, not whoever Ryan Divish's sources are, and I think that that's that's like the the uh, ethos of-, of that message.
1: So, question for you: Who do you think was the player that uh, gave this to Divish?
0: I think it very easily could have been Mitch.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: I, I, I- over and over that that was the person who who when Divish was talking was like. Mitch Haniger prepares like a maniac and here he Mm -hmm. is. And, and, and Jesse Winker doesn't do any of that. And, and so if, you know, talking about (coughs) all the things we were just talking about, if Mitch Haniger is already seeing that he's not going to get re-signed by the Mariners and knowing that Jesse Winker is, and he works harder than Jesse Winker, he might want to talk to somebody about that. And, you know, that, that could be it. I think Marco, like everyone knows Marco Gonzalez is one of his sources from the Cal Seager or from the, uh, from the Kendall Graveman, Uh, yes fallout last year that was that was fairly obvious from that so i mean i I think marco would be you know quote unquote suspect number one but you know mitch and kind of those old guard guys uh maybe i mean tom murphy might be in that that camp i don't know yeah Um, so it's it's hard to tell
1: has got has got to be sweating a little bit he's kind of losing all of his sources in the clubhouse i mean kyle's gone mitch is about to be gone marco might be gone this offseason yeah He's losing his forces.
0: I mean, for him to say it, I I do I do appreciate him being willing to go out there and say it like that. I don't think he would do that if he didn't think that was fully substantiated by more than a couple of members on the team. But um, it is it is a an odd situation, and I think I think the Mariners have every. Uh, incentive to want to make this thing kind of go away and like, pretend like it's not an issue and bet bet on the comeback for, for Winker and just move on. But um, yeah, well, this will be something to monitor in the next year for sure. Especially if Mitch isn't back.
1: And there was one other thing that came out of that media appearance that I think is worth noting. Um, And it actually came from Justin Hollander, who is now the general manager of the Mariners. I, I, again, I don't really know what that means. I, he, he's the general manager, but obviously we still know he's not yeah that's right but he did have a realistic ex- assessment of where we were at it would have been very easy for um say, hey listen we made it to the ds we like our guys we like our young core we think they're going to keep getting better and you know we're happy with where the team is at right now and i think that would have been something that satisfied a lot of people but justin hollander said you know we still finished 16 games behind the astros We are we are we're not where we need to be and we are going to have an active offseason trying to get closer to that goal I think that was a very good thing to say and kind of put my mind at ease because it, knowing the history of the Mariners pretty good has always been good enough and this year was pretty good mm-hmm. and this year was actually even very so it would have easy for them to come out and say listen we like where we're at we think we're just going to keep getting better we don't want to upset the chemistry in the clubhouse by you know x y and z or whatever it would have been very easy to say that but they didn't they went the other way and they said we have to keep getting better this is only the beginning so i was very pleased to hear that
0: and they had they had to do it this year to to be to contend this year they had to go get Luis castillo and and they did and and you know the the fruits of that have borne out already so uh, yeah, that that was interesting. That it does. That was a very firm commitment. I think over and over from service from Depoto from Hollander that uh, moves will be made, things will be done this off season to uh, to bridge the gap. And we'll just you know have to wait and see what those are. And next next time we talk after this episode, it will be trying to figure out what those are and, and prognosticate. This episode is going to be looking back at some of the, uh, the 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 memories and the moments of this season. Um, I, uh, I've got a list of 10. I don't know what your situation is, but, uh, I'll go through those and, um, we'll bounce back and forth to get through that and then get out of here. And then, uh, like I said, have a more off season game plan type episode here to come soon. But before we get into that, I have four early season trivia questions from the Mariners because the, the, the baseball season is so long and so much shit happens. I wanted to, to see if we could capture some early season moments and, uh, like snapshots. So are you ready for these? Yes. When was Drew Steckenrider's last appearance as a Mariner? What what month and what day?
1: Go ahead and guess like June sixteenth,
0: May twenty fourth.
1: Okay, all right. I was pretty close. I Half thought it was month. early.
0: I thought it was earlier than what it was. So yeah,
1: it's no. It's... I, re- I okay. You know, I remember when I at the beginning of the year we were going back and forth, and you sent me a picture. Of 2021, second Steckenrider was pretty good for us. You sent me a picture of his Savant page in 2021, and it was a whole lot yeah. of blue on there. I was like, "Oh God, this guy's." A- it's just kind of one of those, one of those smoking reasons, and um, sure enough, it was.
0: Yeah, he was a big regression candidate, and uh, yeah, he regressed. Yeah. Who led the Mariners hitters in WAR in April? This is uh, Fangraphs WAR, if, if it matters to your calculus.
1: Okay, so it wasn't Julio. picture of April um wasn't suarez winker was april winker was hitting into a lot of hard like double plays and stuff he was like hitting the ball really hard but not doing well Di. france oh i bet i know what's your guess are you with me
0: yeah, I, met, I lost you for a second. What was your guess? What,
1: what Was it J.P. Crawford?
0: It was J.P. Crawford, yeah, yes.
1: Yeah, I remember he had a very good start of the year.
0: Jay, yeah, there was some moments on this podcast where we're talking about how he was ended up being better than all of the free agent shortstops. That, yeah. And, and, yeah. Didn't, didn't quite end that way. But yeah, J.P. Crawford, 1.3 yeah, war. Yeah, he had but, a
1: very good start to the year.
0: Followed by Ty France and followed by Tom Murphy was number three in war. I
1: didn't even remember this year.
0: Yeah, he he was good, and that's that's why yeah. it sucked when he got hurt because Cal Raleigh was not good. Uh, yeah, he Jul- had
1: like he got he got hit in like the sh- a collision at home, right? That's I what for,
0: I, I forget. Yeah, it how- was
1: like a it was it was a collision. He got hit in a collision or something.
0: Yeah, so last season for him. Uh, what was Julio Rodriguez WCR WRC plus on April thirtieth? Ended up being Hmm. 146 overall for the whole season, but on April 30th, what was it? 62.
1: 61. Well done. Wow. Wow. wow, wow. That's
0: that's very, very well done. Yeah. He ended up being for the rest of the season, May on, it was 161, but overall finished at 146. Yeah. Julio was um, not good at the end of April and ended up being extremely good. Um, In Matt Brash's second through fifth starts, he pitched 14.2 innings. Right, those are some rough starts for him. Yeah, how many how many batters did he walk in those starts?
1: How many innings was it?
0: Fourteen point two.
1: I'm gonna guess he walked nine.
0: Uh, you could almost double it, Phil. It was sixteen. No,
1: you're kidding me. Sixteen, 16 walks. walks and fourteen innings. That is insane.
0: Yeah, Matt Brash was a wild boy there for a second, and uh, yeah, he was he was really going through it. He had that excellent start to start against I think Chicago, um, and just kind of took the baseball world by storm. It was like holy shit, look at this kid! But then uh, people stopped swinging at his stuff, and uh, it 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 really cost him. So yeah, that was that was the dark times for Matt Brash.
1: So remember what the thing was about Matt Brash, we kept saying at the beginning of the season when he was having those struggles, is he was continually falling falling behind batters, and that was just allowing them to either sit fastball or sit slider. And then, of course, he made the adjustment once he went to the bullpen, started getting strike one. Guys couldn't just wait and key up on the fastball or the slider or whichever pitch they felt like they had the opportunity to do more damage on. And then he became the Matt Brash that we saw at the end of the year. So really positive development with matt brash i i'm it is disappointing that they're gonna do the whole edwin diaz thing with him but you know a good lockdown reliever is just as valuable as a back of the rotation starter but i think he has the opportunity to be more more than a back of the rotation starter
0: yeah um so yeah matt brash went through it but uh came out on the other side and as we talked about it at the start of this ended up in a very good place for this year's team where he ended up being one of the trusty boys i mean it was like yeah i i, I mean at the end of the year like imagine the Mariners had got had won game three and it got to game four of of that Astros series and they had a three two lead and they'd already used Munoz. Who would you want to who would you want to have had them come in at that point? Brash or Paul Seawald?
1: brash 100 percent, no doubt
0: yeah it's it's yeah. it's freaky that that became yeah. the case but that i don't think there's any equivocation with that um stuff and overpowering people it was like dude this this guy is is just better than everyone else and
1: you know what i'm sad that we didn't see that i think we should have eric swanson seen? yes but also a different thing we didn't get to see a Randy Johnson moment by Luis Castillo where he pitched like a full game and then he comes back the next day and throws an inning out of relief I really wanted to see that and we just never got the opportunity for it
0: yeah well I mean we could have gotten that with Robbie Ray in theory a couple different times but yeah it didn't didn't quite work out anyways let's get into our top 10 uh, moments from this season I have my first one May 8th on on May 8th this was George Kirby's debut it snapped a six game losing streak Kirby went six shutout innings wait while- let me
1: guess who we let me guess who we played yep Tampa Bay
0: it was Tampa yep
1: i remember this game like so vividly <laughs>
0: it was a Sunday, which Sunday games yeah. to me are always the clearest in my mind. Cause it's like, I have nothing else going on. It's like yeah. in the middle of the day. I'm watching just kind of dialed in six shutout innings. Didn't walk anybody struck out seven over 81 pitches, which is just like such a quintessential George
1: Kirby line, but he did it in his very first start. And I don't know if you remember this fun little fact about that start. You know what the count was to his first ever major league batter. Was it three Oh yeah, he went three and Oh, and then he battled back
0: yeah because yeah. he re- fucking refuses to walk anybody yeah.
1: yeah
0: yeah so sign of things to come star is born situation with george kirby and it, that game ended it included a game tying home run from our boy abe toro and then kevin cash uh check out the sentence kevin cash intentionally walked adam frazier to get to tie france in the bottom of the 10th and then tie france is a
1: wild wild statement
0: tie france at the game winning base hit and uh on they went and and that like I said snapped a six game losing streak mirror struggled mightily against Tampa this year but um that was that was a cool moment you had all of George Kirby's like high school buddies going crazy in the in the in T-Mobile there that was that was fun times
1: yeah that was fun times
0: what is your first moment
1: are are we ranking these like in order or can I just go
0: I went chronologically but yeah go go okay
1: I'm not going chronologically but I think the moment that sticks out in my mind the most is about a guy we've spent a lot of this podcast talking about. The pizza. The pizza for Jesse Winker. I think that was probably my favorite moment of the season. Um I don't know not, if you not wanna... the fight, but the pizza. Yeah, the pizza was the best part. Like yeah. there was a baby basically like a DoorDash Uber Eats, whatever postmates guy that was delivering food. And one of the Mariners fans sent a pizza to Angel Stadium. And somehow some way this guy manages to get into the stadium and deliver a pizza to Jesse Winker, which I thought was probably the coolest moment of the year.
0: I think when you talk about like extremely online fan bases, that was that was a, a, a perfect example of that because yeah. the, the Sophie Sophie Ballgame, I think her name is on Twitter, was uh, was tweeting about it and, and updating that. And then I think the at Mariners account kind of facilitated things to make it happen. Um, to to pull it off and and that's that's just it's beautiful it's it's like the the most connected fan base because of yeah. how, how they've uh tapped into that so yeah very good one I forget what day that was but uh, obviously that was the Jesse Winker brawl game that was the uh Rysel Iglesias throwing the the um the bucket of of bubble gum uh, bubble in- <laughs> gum yeah that was that was a good game, <laughs> that, ref- was a funny yeah. game man. that was yeah. a weird one yeah and and that was we didn't even know what was going on with this team and whether things were going to be good or it's just like Luis torrens
1: got hurt in that game in that brawl
0: yeah julio got suspended yeah i mean it was um what was going on uh
1: crawford got suspended
0: my second game is uh may 13th the mariners go into city field in new york and beat max scherzer two with marco Yep, Marco, Marco outduels Max Scherzer. Uh, Paul Sewald revenge game. He gets four outs in the seventh and eighth. He, this is an awesome quote from, from Paul Sewald. After that, there's just like, fuck the Mets. I don't throw sidearm and sinkers. That was not ideal when that was the coaching decision over there. The fact that I throw rising fastballs and sweeping sliders is different than the pitches I had while I was here and scrapped the changeup completely. So he's basically just like, yep, the Mariners fixed me and the Mets tried to destroy me, and I'm going to shit on them. And uh, that was... In the many parts of the season where you could not fuck with Paul Seawald, and that was one of those games. Um, but in terms of just like the grand scheme of things, looking back on the year, I like that one because it was a sign of things to come where the Mariners won close games with great pitching, won one run games, and beat good teams because that was like one of the things that we were looking at earlier in that year was and throughout the year it was just like they handled good teams well, they struggled against yep. bad teams, and that was this was a perfect example of that. I like that one. What is your second moment?
1: Well, I'm going to stay at the beginning of the season. I'm just going to keep going with you throughout, but I'll stay at the beginning until you start making your way towards the middle of the season. Okay. The first of the first career Julio home run in Miami, that yes. three run, that three mm-hmm. run nuke that he hit couldn't have come at a better time. Because if you remember, we won the first, there was a, we, we went to Florida on this road trip where we went to Tampa and then we went to Miami And the wheels were starting to come off. I think we had lost four in a row, five in a row at this point. Um, And this was the Sunday game, again, another Sunday game, where the Mariners, again, the offense looked inept. And then all of a sudden, Julio hits this three-run nuke that puts us up and starts kind of this turnaround. And, you know, the team struggled again shortly after that. But, again, that was a moment where Julio kind of arrived. He hit this mammoth shot, and we got to see – what we had been waiting to see with him Mm
0: -hmm. yeah the the power was the 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 thing that had not come yet with julio and everything else was starting to kind of click a little bit the speed was there it was like holy shit this kid can steal bases um he was getting jobbed on the uh the kind of uh, borderline calls to start that year and it was like when is he going to get a chance to flourish and that kind of feels like the moment where um confidence wise things things kind of hit him um then when he when he went yard in in miami my third was uh, June 23rd, the A.J. Puck game. This was a yes. game the, the Mariners had just won the first two games in the series against Oakland after the really, really bad Anaheim series in the middle of June where they lost 4-5. Um, so momentum was starting to build. It's like, okay, let's get off the schneid. Let's keep moving. Um, Nams were getting no hit for seven and two-thirds against Frankie Montas. Um, and we're down one nothing heading into the ninth. They had broken the no-hitter at that point, but um, things were looking grim. Two on, two outs. The A's bring in AJ Puck, who can be very nasty at times, but it was also very wild. Kevin Padlow steps into the box for the Mariners, draws a I four, remember. draws a four pitch walk, and then uh, Puck get has, throws two wild pitches to score the two runs that they need to win. The Mariners went two one, and it was the the birth, I think, of the twenty twenty two version of of uh, chaos ball
1: yeah D- didn't kevin padlow also have like an extremely clutch two out base hit like very shortly after that against the angels again yeah
0: yeah that sounds right i think yeah. him him and justin Upton both had exactly one big moment or, yeah. or like helpful yeah. moments and that was and the Upton Kirk, home run. same thing
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: so that was that was uh three down there for for the aj puck game who's your third or who is uh, what is your third
1: Okay. So now we're in the middle of the season, so I have to do it. And I'm sure this is one of your moments, but it's just, and it's, again, it's another Julio moment, but it's the, the home run derby. Mm. And that, that was so important for the Mariners, for Julio, for everyone just to kind of put the Mariners back in the public consciousness. And there was a moment where, you know, I I'll never forget this. I I don't really follow basketball too closely, but you know, Steph Curry still one of the biggest basketball stars on the planet was uh, wearing sneakers with Julio Rodriguez numbers on it with like the Mariners logo and stuff. And he tweeted uh, the picture out. And I just remember back in the Griffey, a rod Edgar era of the Mariners, they weren't always the best team in baseball but they were always one of the coolest teams in baseball. And that was the moment where you're like, oh, the Mariners might not be the best team in baseball, but again, they're regaining that cool factor because for so many years, the Mariners have just been like an afterthought in baseball, but they're starting now and, you know, you see it with the dancing and the, mm-hmm. the whatever, you know, all the, all the stuff. But now you're starting to see the cool factor return to baseball in Seattle, which I don't think can be understated. I mean, it's not, going to translate directly to wins on the field but it is still a more enjoyable experience for the for the team
0: and the Mariners had carried over the win streak into the all-star break too and so yeah they were kind of the top talk of the town with that Julio had made the all-star team as a as a replacement um and yeah that was in all eyes on him and I think I think one thing you know probably not enough Julio talk on this honestly of just like he him, him like unmasked of like, you know, just like his face and like close shots of him smiling and enjoying baseball is like something that everyone should get to see because we get to see it all the time. And that was mm-hmm. that was the moment the baseball got to see it. And it set up the narrative of like he's got work to do to beat uh, to, to get the, the title back next year when the, the home run derby and the all star game will be in Seattle. So that was that was a good pick. Um, I had July 10th. So this is shortly before that before I before. Yeah. That, yeah, before that where uh, the Mariners sweep Toronto. They went 6-5 to win their eighth in a row. The Mariners were down 4-1 to one in the fifth, had had the bases loaded. Sam Haggerty hits it to the pitcher, throws uh, the pitcher throws home for out number one, looks like it's going to be inning-inning double play.
1: Mm-hmm. The,
0: uh, the pitcher throws to first, or the catcher throws to the first for the double play. The ball goes through Vladimir Guerrero's mitt. Yeah, come- broke his glove. The comeback is on, the Mariners tie it. Um, And then Bo Bichette hits a gut punch solo home run and it's five, four blue Jays late in that game down five, four in the eighth, Carlos Santana hits a two run Jack Paul Seawold comes in the top of the ninth and does the sweeping motion as he uh, throws the ball to first and the game, um, which was awesome because one, it, it was a harbinger of things to come where we're in the blue Jays ass all season. And then it was finally like, we've had so many frustrating series or just like when the Mariners suck or whether they're pretty good of the blue Jays coming to town and kicking our ass with all their fans there. And, uh, for them to do that then was, was, um, was great. And so, you know, there's, and there's we got
1: a, a, we got Charlie Montoya fired.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. The first of, I think two coach firings that happened throughout the year directly related to the Mariners. Um, but you know, I figured you are going to probably talk quick, about another, uh, another blue Jays comeback. To, so what's I, that? I, I said, I figured you're gonna talk about another blue Jays comeback. So I had this yeah. one.
1: So real quick aside on the on the Blue Jays, you know, our podcast is very um, analytics and stats heavy. Um, But I I just don't think you're ever going to convince me in a million years that there was not a mental factor that played into the Mariners beating the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays, you know, for all the wonderful, insane amount of talent they have on offense and on pitching. I mean, Alec Mm -hmm. Manoa is a star uh kevin gosman is a star jose barrio sucks but you know they they have some good pitchers um but you, you're just never going to convince me that the 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 blue jays don't have a little bit of that like mental weakness adversity issue going on in their locker room i and and i don't know how much you know you can't quantify that in war but i don't know how much it matters but i think it matters a little
0: yeah. And it's, it's, it's one part, I think the mental maybe weakness, but then I, I think a, a sign of a mental toughness with the Mariners. So just like, this yeah. is a team that, that, you know, I've, I've referenced this quote a bunch of times, but when Jerry DePoto said it's hard to win when you or hard to lose when you never give up. I think that was absolutely true with this team and yep. that this, a lot of the the, the rundown here that we're going to go through these games is our examples of exactly that, including that, that, that Toronto win and uh, the other big one that happened
1: in in the playoffs. So that, was, yeah. that, was, that was my number four. What was your fourth? My number four is going to be the game. Again, we're jumping back and forth a little bit here, but the game right before the all-star break in Texas, mm-hmm. where again, they were down and it looked like the, um, the, the winning streak was going to come to an end at, I think, 12 games. So I had turned off the game. I can't remember who the starting pitcher was that game, but I remember sitting in bed. I had just moved into my new house, so I was, you know, doing a ton of work on the house. I wasn't really half. Pay- I was half paying attention to the game, but you know, we obviously had this this big winning streak going on. And you texted me something vague, but like positive. And I texted back, "What's what's going on?" And you said something biblical. So I turned on the game, and then all of a sudden, I see, okay, it's six five Mariners now, and I was like, "Wow, there really might be something here," you know. So mm-hmm. it was it was that was one of my personal favorite moments of the game of the season
0: yeah there i mean there was a certain like you can't rule this team outness to to yeah. the team that uh you know i think sometimes you can feel that way in baseball but it, it's you know it doesn't always have to be true and um and, you know the optimism and the it ended up being the the sentiment that carried through the rally shoe and all of that. Like the, this was the the vibe and the energy around this team. So yeah, I don't even really remember what that was, but but the uh the, I had another game from that Texas series in mind, July fifteenth. This is the Julio Grand Slam game.
1: Yeah, uh, the Grand the, Slam game. Yeah.
0: The Mariners won eight three in that one. That was twelve in a row. So the one you're talking about was either thirteen or fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was four nothing. Mariners it looked like they were you know kind of doing what they had started to do during that time, which is like start kicking, like kicking doors down, like winning by big amounts of runs. But then Texas gets it to four, three. It's looking like it's going to be one of those classic games in Texas where like no lead is safe and you know, just too many runs. And then Julio comes up bases loaded, absolutely demolishes one to dead center. I was in New Jersey with some friends and I was watching on my phone, like a psychopath at the end of the table and uh, it was just, again, it was kind of similar to what you said of just like th- this was one of those moments during that streak in the middle of the season where it was just like, man, this, this team is made of titanium. Like they, they cannot be yeah. stopped and uh, they are going to, they're going, they're just, they're going to do things like this to do whatever it takes to win. Um, and another one of those, like many Julio is so fucking good moments that we had throughout the year.
1: Yeah. I mean, there were just so many moments um, throughout the course of the year where you're just like, Jesus, this kid is the, the the second coming of like greatness in Seattle. You had that first coming with, you know, again, the Edgars and the Griffies and all that. But like he really felt like he ushered in this next generation of of greatness in Seattle. So that was a that was, a, again, a very fun moment.
0: Yep. I'm five down. What's what's your fifth?
1: So number five for me, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We're going to go into August. Okay. There was a game. uh, Who were they playing? I was at this game. And this is, again, this is a personal one for me. I cannot remember who they were playing. But I texted you this um, the other day. And it was a moment where I realized just how little we all basically know about baseball and why that makes it such a great game. (laughs) I, you know, my, my, my fiance, Anya, she doesn't know a ton about baseball. So I try and explain things to her, you know, from time to time regarding how, how the game works. And I just remember there was a play where there was a pickoff attempt and then a, the, the, I think it was Dylan Moore. He was running to second and they throw over his head to second. uh, And the ball gets into the outfield and Moore goes to third base and the crowd erupts and we just sit there for like five minutes and everyone's cheering because it was a big moment in the game. And then Anya just leans over to me and she goes, what happened? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> there's just these moments of baseball where you're like, it's, it's, it's many, many, many hours of, of um, kind of, I don't want to call it boredom, but like, you know, relative ho-hum, here we go. And then moments of like sheer like chaos. And that's mm-hmm. why baseball is such a fun game and why you know, the crowd gets so unbelievably hyped because they're kind of just sitting there all game waiting to explode, which honestly the the worst part of that 18 inning game was the fact that it felt like this crowd was just ready to absolutely tear the rafters down. And we just never got that moment uh, of, of release that mm-hmm. we so desperately wanted. But this game, we did get that release and that's just one of those things that reminds you why baseball is so fun. As we're talking
0: about our favorite moments of this season, one that can't be forgotten is the day that Elm Coffee Roasters stepped in to be this podcast's official sponsor. The folks at Elm are big Mariners fans, and for whatever reason, they like the cut of this podcast jib. And the feeling goes both ways as Elm has quickly become my favorite coffee with their bold flavors, elegant packaging, and constant ingenuity to develop new roasts and new tastes. As we get into the cold, dreary months of the offseason, level up your coffee game with Elm Coffee Roasters Coffee and take 25% off your first order by using the promo code ROUGHLY at checkout. So head to elmcoffeeroasters.com, that's elm Roasters.com and punch in the promo code ROUGHLY, like our name, to see 25% of your costs magically vanish like a Matt Brash slider out of the zone. Head to elmcoffeeroasters.com, you know the drill, get the coffee and enjoy the rest of the show. I had, that um, was very well said. And Do you
1: know I, what game I'm talking about, by the way? I can't remember no, who they were playing.
0: I mean, the, the one I'm talking about to talk about was, was uh, this one was a little more conventionally awesome, which was the, the August 9th uh, Yankees extra inning game in Seattle.
1: Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But I, I don't quite remember the one you're talking about um, where some version of chaos ball allows them to win. But August 9th against the Yankees, this is this is uh, a lot of things he- heading into this. First of all, this is Cole V Castillo two. Um Castillo had just uh, beaten Cole in New York in his first start. Didn't look amazing. He looked great, but like yeah. not amazing.
1: Not amazing. Yeah
0: but the M's had just rocked Garrett Cole the week before. And you knew that there was no chance that they were going to mm-hmm. do that twice in a row and that he was going to destroy them. He goes seven innings, uh, gives up eight strike or uh, strikes out eight Mariners. The, then Castillo, this is when he first looked unstoppable. He goes eight innings, gives up seven strikeouts. Um, so it's like, holy shit, these two going back to back. At, you know, it's it's like, wow, these are, these are Titanic starting pitchers here. The M's bullpen, Munoz, Seawald, Festa, Brash goes five hitless innings. There are Mm -hmm. three insane defensive plays. Yeah, those
1: those double plays were all just remarkable.
0: Andrew Benatendi gets picked off trying to get to third in the tenth for one of the outs. Aaron Hicks lines out in the eleventh, and they pick out pick off uh, Miguel and Duhar at second for a double play. And then in the twelfth, this is yeah, this is the craziest one of the craziest defensive plays I've ever seen ball gets rocketed up the middle of the of, uh, ground ball at the middle Matt Brash just scoops it behind his back just sticks his glove back there gets the ball is almost shocked that it's in his, in his in his hand that leads to a double play um, and then the winner comes where where again just a sign of how things were the the Yankees intentionally walk Sam Haggerty to get to Luis Torrens. Yeah. You know, it's like Sam Haggerty had become the guy you intentionally walk, which is kind of a narrative of this season. I'm just like, there was a point where Sam Haggerty was like our best player and yeah. Terence singles to right ball game. Terence is shortly DFA'd, I think for Kyle Lewis when he came back. No,
1: it was Kurt Casali. Was it? Yeah, I think so.
0: Oh, because Casali was on like the He was the on IL. the IL
1: when we traded for him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, damn, that's that's crazy. Who did we yeah. end
1: up giving up for Kirk casali I really hope it wasn't anyone. Important. I don't think it was
0: anybody, yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, so that, so yeah, Terence knew he was about to get DFA'd, it was not long for the world. He's going nuts, points into right field as he hits the game winning uh hit there. Uh, that was the moment I think where I was like, this team is not just like you know doing what it should do against the mediocre to bad teams. Excuse me, hearing that stretch, but coming off the all star break, like. This team can beat again really good teams, and it's for real. And that the high level of play in that game, especially in the pitching department, there were 367 pitches in that game. 202 of them were 95 plus mile an hour pitches. Like the kind of
1: reminds you of that first game, um, that first Castillo game against uh the Blue Jays, you know, where they were just like it was Castillo for seven innings and then Munoz for two innings, and it's just like both of these guys throw 100 plus,
0: yeah. Yeah, it was just, it's like, good luck with that. And that was, yeah. that was like an incredible game. The outcome I think was, was what made it awesome from a Mariners perspective. But um, just yeah, as, as I talked about with Aaron Goldsmith, when I talked to him uh, in September, there was like, this was one of the best baseball games ever, it felt like, and um, just in the midst of an, of an amazing season.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to go with one that I'm probably going to steal from you.
0: Okay. I'm just going
1: to say it, the Atlanta Braves game.
0: Uh, yes, that is not my next one, but it's on there. This, this, yeah. is, this is the heartbreak comeback game,
1: right? Yep, exactly. Okay. It, it, run it down for us. So I can't remember the exact scores, so you're going to have to bear with Well, actually, I do remember the exact scores. The Mariners were playing amazing baseball. Marco Gonzalez was on the mound. And okay, here's something you have to understand about the Braves. They are out of the playoffs now, but their team hits nukes and I mean mm-hmm. absolutely they hit homers just with the best of them probably maybe the best team in all of baseball in hitting in terms of hitting the long ball um, and they absolutely destroy left-handed pitching so this was at the height of the everyone being pissed about Marco sentiment because we had just traded for Luis Castillo Chris Flexen gets sent to the bullpen even though most people correctly realized that Chris Flexen is the better pitcher. Mm-hmm. And now we have Marco Gonzalez going up against um, the best lineup. A, in baseball. A, 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 yeah. The best lineup <laughs> in baseball, pretty much. That absolutely eats left-handed pitching. So everyone was assuming this was going to be just one of those games where Marco, you know, he lasts two innings, tips up six runs and the Mariners are out of it early. Marco pitches one of the most masterful, just, absolute vintage Marco performances of his career, mixing speeds, boot using both sides of the plate, all those things that made Marco good back when he was good. And it just looked like 2018, 2019 Marco. Mariners go into the top of the ninth inning up six runs to two. Yep. And you think the lead is safe. Scott Service fucks around a little bit. He doesn't use Paul Seawald and this was at the point where Paul Seawald was still unquestionably the, you know, the best reliever on the team. Um this we hadn't had the Munoz ascension yet. Um, he decides instead to go to Diego Castillo. Diego Castillo, very poor outing. <laughs> this <laughs> um, this, is,
0: this is the the fidgety. Yeah. I don't want to be here, Diego Castillo.
1: Yes, so he gives up a three run nuke to I think it was Michael Harris.
0: Yes, this and, is. I, I looked it yeah. up. I was like, how hard, how far did he hit that? Because. Yeah. It, He hit it 433 feet to right. It felt like 4,300. Like he destroyed that ball.
1: It hit off the hit it here cafe. I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah,
0: definitely. Off those big windows.
1: Yeah. So anyway, but you know, there's two outs and the lead is still six, five at that point. Yep. Six, five. And there's two outs and we're going to Paul Seawald. Everything still feels okay. Seawald gives up a little dinky hit to Eddie Rosario, Eddie Rosario. And then here comes Robbie Grossman and you're like, okay, Robbie Grossman, not a huge, huge threat, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, obviously still a tense moment, no no doubt, but you're, you're feeling pretty good. And then lo and behold, Robbie Grossman just nukes one again. And yeah. all of a sudden we're down seven to six. I was so dejected and so upset. I said, yeah. Anya, let's just go. Cause we were going to Costco and then all of a sudden bottom of the ninth, was it a three-run homer or a two-run homer by it was. Or was it, it two home runs?
0: It was two home runs. That Julio, oh. Julio hits the, the leadoff to tie it instantly. Okay. And it's like, okay, whew, okay, well, this is going to be a, a grinded out in extras. And, yeah. then, and then Gino steps up for the first walk-off homer of his career. And that was, that was yeah, that was fucking bananas, that game. Yeah, that, that, in- that
1: game was fun, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, That, that it shouldn't have been that fun. But yeah. it it ended up being very, very Did we fun.
1: win the first one or lose the first one? Because it was only a two game set against Atlanta.
0: No, it was a three game set. And that was, it was. that was okay. that was to win the series. So they had okay. one. I think they I think they had lost then won just the classic that was, again, the classic Mariner yeah. series, lose the first and then win the next two. Um uh-huh. and yeah, so that was all set up. They were gonna do it. And then um yeah, that, that was that was that was definitely Oh, the
1: two game series was the Padres, which we split.
0: Yes, yes. yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I remember that was the last tough stretch of the Mariners' season, mm-hmm. right? And then, oh, it's all easy after that. And then, of course, after that, it was actually pretty bad.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna back up a week before that. Yeah. This is the, sure. the the Cleveland Storm game. Uh, this is oh, what?
1: Yeah, I forgot all about the Cleveland series. Yeah. This is
0: my, I guess, it would be number one, number seven, um, because mm-hmm. the one you just said was my number eight. Uh, But anyways, so this is September 4th. It's an 11 inning game that lasts a total of eight hours, 20 minutes because there's a four hour rain delay. George Kirby goes three innings before the delay. They bring in Munoz after the delay because they think or no, no, they bring in Munoz before the delay uh, because they think that the game is going to get called after five. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. So they burn Munoz and they've already burnt Kirby. Sorry. Kirby only went three because that's when the delay happened. And then, then yeah, the delay... yeah, they
1: couldn't, they couldn't bring Kirby back out after sitting for like two hours. Yeah.
0: So then, then they bring in uh, Munoz and that's, that's when he tries to go and they, and goes as far as he can, thinking that the game's going to get called. It doesn't, keeps going. The guardians tie it three, three in the eighth rolls into extras. The Mariners completely un- unload the, the bullpen um, with a game. The next day, it's a Sunday game where there's a, where there's a game the next day um, and then gut it out in extras to sweep Cleveland. And that was again before that Atlanta won one of the last like series against good teams, and they passed a huge test there by sweeping Cleveland in Cleveland right right before it looked like Cleveland was gonna run away with that division, like they ended up doing
1: mm-hmm. yeah that game was that game was so much fun, but I just remember being sour grapes about that game, yeah, because they had to come back to Seattle after that mm-hmm. and it was. And they play, play against play Chicago and they look so flat. Like, and of course they look flat. They were super tired. But that they, was I think, I think they won that game. The, no, the... they lost. They almost won. Adam Frazier, uh, I think popped out with like the winning run on third base.
0: You are, of course, correct. Yeah, they lost three two to yeah. Chicago in a great Lance Lynn game. But again, this is a funny one because Marco looked fantastic the next game, too. <laughs> he he gutted <laughs> out um and, and try like, you know, did what he had to do. I think he went, yeah, seven innings in a game that they had no bullpen left. So yeah. So some heroic stuff for Marco down the stretch.
1: Yeah. Honestly, there were some bad starts sprinkled in there by Marco down the stretch, but all in all that was about as good of a scenario as we could have asked for from him.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was my number seven and also eight. So what is your actual number
1: eight? Okay. So now I'm getting late in the season. Um. the, extra innings walk off win against Texas the night before the big dumber Oakland game. Okay. Because that is when I finally allowed myself to feel like this is and you know all season long me and you had been texting back and forth about the playoff odds and you know <laughs> okay we're at 70%, we're at 80%, we're at 90%, now we're at 95, now we're at 98, now we're at 99.9. <laughs> and the whole time I was just not allowing myself to feel that this was real, but the fact that Boston, Boston was playing Baltimore, and in, in a four-game series, Baltimore wins the first game, okay, but then Boston comes back and wins the next three. Coupled with the fact that the Mariners then took care of business in extra innings fashion against Texas that let that night, which got our magic number down to one. At that moment, I was like, holy shit, we're going to the playoffs. It wasn't sure yet, and it wasn't, you know, whatever. But at that moment, I was like, this is happening. Like, this will happen.
0: Yeah, and a, a gritty, gritty game from from the M's there. They were up – I'm looking at the, the box score. They're up seven. This is a two-home run Kellinick game. I think a two-home mm-hmm. run Kellinick, two-home run Hanniger game where they have a 7-4 lead. Uh, Texas ties it 7-7, heading into extras. And uh, Texas scored in both –
1: uh, yes.
0: both top frames but the, the m's tied it um and in in the 10th and the 11th and then jp crawford h- hits the uh infield single the third um to to win it there so yeah it was just yeah, like
1: off of, off of josh young's glove and if you remember in that series yeah josh young was giving us such problems all series this long. is j
0: j u n g young yes yes yeah he, w- he was a-, a mofo in that series
1: yeah that was tough but the fact that we won this year, I think we ended up winning that series, right? Two games to one.
0: Yes, because yeah. yeah. So, so they had won the night before three, one yeah. great, great George Kirby game. And then, uh, and then win that game. And then, yeah, that that's where in the post game, this is the Thursday night. Uh, Scott service says we're going to end the, end the drought tomorrow. And, and uh, that's a perfect segue because that goes right into my number nine, which is the, the drought ender, the dump shot to get into the playoff. Um, uh, Dumper had, had, Pinch hit for Torrens, And again, mm-hmm. like all, everything Cal Raleigh did here is with a broken thumb at the end of this season. 3-2 count gets a slider down and away, carries it out to the hit it here cafe. The party's on, the champagne flowed on uh both in Seattle and you remember these, though, there's games. a
1: moment, there's a moment, and I we talked about this in the podcast beforehand, but there was a moment in that game that was basically the arrival of Matt Brash in the ninth inning that does not get talked about enough. Just going one, two, three, just wiping them out with three strikeouts.
0: Yeah. This was, let's see. Yep. He, two strikeouts there, but oh, two um, strikeouts. yeah. But let's see. He comes in. Yeah. Cause Gilbert had gone eight and this was one mm-hmm. of the best, the best Logan had looked in a long time.
1: Yeah. He only got the only blemish was that Shea Langley or some run in yep. like the fourth or fifth inning.
0: Yep. yep. Yeah. So it was one, one, one. And then, and then Cal did it. And uh, if you want to go back and hear us right after that, you can, you can do that a few episodes ago. Um, Just, just an all time moment in Mariners history and Seattle sports history from from Cal Raleigh. The, The best thing from Cal is as he's rounding first, there's the shot of him just, he's such a good, sweet old boy. He's a good soul. Yeah. And you just see him mouthing or maybe saying or yelling out loud, holy fuck, because he can, he can understand what he had just done in that moment. And it was, well, it you was know, so beautiful. you know, what's
1: funny about that moment. They asked him later, is that the biggest walk-off home run of your sports career? And he said, that's the only walk-off home run of my career. He's never had a walk-off home run before. That was his first one.
0: Damn. And, and it, it felt like, it, it felt like he had had walk-off moments this season, but it was just, he hit a lot of big home runs, but not, yeah. you know, like, like the, that was our only run of the game home runs, but not, right. not like, you know, monumental Titanic one. So yeah, just 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 beautiful, beautiful stuff from Cal there for number nine. Two more for you.
1: All right. We're going into the playoffs. Okay. That first game in that first inning, it's like another Cal Raleigh moment. Mm-hmm. But you know, we start the game off so good because, you know, I think did Jrod get hit? Was that how yep. he got on base? Yep. Yeah. Got he it. got hit. And then Suarez decides I'm going to start being uh slap hitter and go the other way because that <laughs> series he had like four hits the other way but he just laced his one down the right line um julio scores from first and then you're thinking okay this is good we got a run we settled our nerves we're happy going into the bottom of the first uh, you know getting one in the first off alec manoa that's great but then i think it was hanager walked or someone walked Mm. Anyway, first and second. I don't know how the guy who got on to first, but first and second, and it's the dump show, and boom, three run homer. We're up four nothing, and that's how the game ends. Like it was just a masterful, masterful first inning of playoff baseball in twenty one years. You could not have scripted it better.
0: Well, it was a two run homer because uh, the 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 slap shot from from Suarez was a double, and it scores Julio, and so, yeah, so- so that so then uh, Cal comes up to hit a two, he, to because to, Cal is now the cleanup hitter at this point. Um, yeah. So Ty, I think Ty. Oh, France, that's
1: right. So it was a two-run homer. You're right. Yeah. So we so were only up three nothing.
0: Three nothing, and then and then there's another run that gets scored. I think in the fifth. Yeah. Yeah, because
1: yeah. Suarez hits that little chopper that yep. scores. Yeah. Okay. Yep.
0: Yeah, but, uh, but anyway, yeah,
1: it was a masterful, masterful start.
0: Yeah, that was uh, you called me right after that that home run. It, it was uh, going nuts because uh, it was just like there was so much tension in that game, and so a, a really good first inning was necessary to just like yeah. breathe.
1: Because you it, could feel like you could feel the jokes starting if the Mariners like get no hit in their yeah. first playoff game or whatever. You could just feel the jokes, you know. And for them to come out and silence that right away, it was it was great.
0: That was that was a beautiful moment. Uh, my my tenth is is a tough one, so. What what is your tenth? Because I think mine mine is like the last moment of the season. So, what what what's your tenth?
1: My my tenth is also the last, very last moment of the season, and it was a game I was at. Yeah, it was so, a game I was at. It so was I think the, I think it we did could, the same for both of us.
0: Yeah, I think I think we can we can empathize on this. So this is you would we had texted each other. I think it was like the fifteenth or the sixteenth, and you said, "I have the text." You said, I, "I'm kind of half focused on the game right now, and the other half is just." Looking back fondly, which is a it, yeah. it, it, it's it's like it's it's the however they say of like the moment right before you die, you think your your whole life flashes before your, yeah. your eyes. the whole thing
1: like, really was flashing before my eyes. Every batter that was coming up, I was thinking about all the big moments that that specific guy had this year, and you know, it was just a nice way to spend those mm-hmm. last year.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was there too, and it was I, I got there in that game where it's just kind of this this like painful bliss of just like you know, you're looking at the Astros lineup and you're like, they have five guys who could end this with one swing. And we, now that Gino has been benched, we have one with Julio. (laughs) And it's just like, you play the numbers out and it's just like, this is.
1: Yeah. I don't think any of us thought we were going to win that game by the 15th or 16th inning, you know, but my, my memory there and my the best memory I've had in sports in a long time was after the game, you know, the Astros are celebrating on our field and All of a sudden, just the full stadium, everyone who stayed, which was 99% of people stayed all 18 innings, but you just get this let's go Mariners chant that overwhelms anything else going on the field and yeah, they're celebrating or whatever, but it was so cool to watch, you know, that happen even in the midst of the Astros celebrating on our field, the whole stadium chanting, let's go Mariners.
0: Yeah, that was that was incredible um and and like you said just so so proud of of that season and uh, I this won't be the first time or the last time I make a Lord of the Rings reference in here but at the end of the third uh book and movie where you have Gollum getting thrown into the to the 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 the, the magma of Mount Doom and he's on his back and he finally catches the ring it's in his hand and then he's he and then he burns to death in that moment and it's so it's so dark and, and like yeah but it's like we had it, you know, we, we, like, yeah. we, we, we finally got what we wanted and yes, that's it. That's, that's the end of it. And, and, you know, we will go swiftly into this good night and, and talk about next season soon. But like we, we accomplished this year's goal, which was to make yeah. the playoffs and to arrive and to establish something. And like we established things we didn't even expect to establish Julio Rodriguez being a superstar was not something that I could have necessarily predicted um, before the season, George Kirby, same thing. I mean, um, Andres Munoz being one of the best, if not the best bullpen arm in baseball. Like this was a weird season and not not to script at all, but it ended up in the place that we wanted and, and then some.
1: Yeah, listen, as far as goodbyes go, we've said goodbye to a lot of teams and a lot of, not only just like a lot of individual teams, we've said goodbye to a lot of iterations of teams. We've said a lot of goodbyes after 2019 to the Robinson Cano um nelson cruz era kyle seager era whatever we've said goodbye a lot this was probably the happiest goodbye i've ever had to a sports team
0: easily easily
1: yeah that's that's i felt no when i was walking out of the stadium i felt no sadness i really Mm -hmm. didn't i felt a lot of sadness after that tuesday game yeah but there was there was no sadness whatsoever i was just happy and i was just really proud and that's like you, you know, you don't get that very often in sports. So I really relish that moment.
0: There is one other time, I think, that I felt that way um, in, in with a sports team. And it was in 2012 when the Seahawks had lost to the Falcons in, in Russell Wilson's rookie year um, in the playoffs that year. And it was like, wow, what a freaking season. I cannot wait to get into off-season mode to just build on what this team has. Yeah, now
1: I'm so excited for this off-season. Like I'm just waiting to see how we're gonna put this these final touches on this team. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I think you, you know you could say that too about last year's manner season, finishing with 90 games. The you know the the the, the believe and all of that, but like there yeah, were but still that felt big questions. End, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, that was still a negative run differential team. It was yeah. just like we had a lot to prove and to figure out um still from that year's team it definitely you know strides had been made but there was there was still like you know yeah
1: you still had like whole face more question marks offense or whatever <laughs> exactly. like you know. well yeah. nothing <laughs> nothing
0: has changed there phil we still have yeah. more but um but yeah th- this this is different and that's why like you know we, te- we you and i are texting all the time trying to figure out you know d- is jazz chisholm the piece like can we yeah. can we get Jericho and profile like we are, we are close and there's not a lot of work to do. It's not like the Mariners have five roster spots to fill. It's like no, basically they a got couple of three.
1: Yeah. They so, need a couple bats. So and we are going but to, they are, I, I will caution. This will just be a little um, sneak peek of next week. The Mariners are now firmly in that place on their wind curve where it gets so much harder to mm-hmm. find, to find impact talent. Because when you're building, it's like, yeah, we can, uh, a two win guy is going to be great. For this team a two and a half win player plug them in and it's great the mariners now cannot be shopping in that aisle of the market anymore they mm-hmm. have to be shopping in the upper tier oh it's a different aisle. market that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because everywhere on the field they already have two two and a half wins that's not going to do them any good they're going to need to be shopping in the four to five win aisle and that's yeah. very expensive and it's going to hurt a lot just like it hurt with castillo just like it hurts with, you know, it doesn't hurt us, but it's going to hurt the owner's wallet, but it's going to hurt to acquire this talent because it's not easy getting four and five win players, but you mm. have to do it and take the next step.
0: Yeah, no, we've we've gone from being a Safeway family to a Whole Foods family in terms yes. in terms of, of, of where we shop. So we're yeah, moving yeah.
1: on up in the world. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, this like you said, I'm 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 fired up. I'm excited. Uh we'll be back next week to uh to lay out the game plan and make somewhat of a wish list for how the Mariners attack this offseason to address the needs that uh, we've been promised are gonna get addressed. And so we'll yeah. identify what those are, which is basically quite simply like how do we score a run in in, in 18, 18 frames and against eight. houston uh, maybe yeah. <laughs> the first place to start so uh this is great this was this was cathartic i'm in no way like devastated about about this season I, I leave this season with a smile on my face and i'm eager to uh to get into the next
1: oh absolutely i think this was just the beginning and i think we're gonna have good baseball in seattle for honestly the next five six years and if they play their cards right maybe longer
0: good shit well uh that fires me up um all right buddy yeah. well good to get back on the horn glad your your vocal cords are working again and uh we'll be talking next week all right talk to you soon Peace.